0: Listening to an artist interview from Chirp Radio, you can find more interviews at chirpradio.org/podcasts.
1: I'm Jesse D. I am with Chirp Radio,
0: and I am Lakshmi Ramgopal.
1: I appreciate that you have both your artistic and academic CV available on your website. <laughs> I think that's really unique and special. How does this experience influence your music?
0: For those who don't know, I'm a professor of history at Columbia University in New York, but my art practice is still primarily based in Chicago. I think they really, you know, they're really they're mutually reinforcing in really positive ways. I mean, it does mean that my life feels really chaotic and it is overscheduled <laughs> and stressful a lot of the time, but it has made for a very rich Uh, way of, of living. You know, my training as an academic is basically training as a researcher and to think really deeply about super specific things. And I've brought that into my art practice in lots of ways. I'm really interested in playing with how we think about information and how we organize information. So for example, in a Half Light Chorus, I invented and recorded bird calls or the Garuda, which is a mythological bird from Hindu literature and scriptures. And unless somebody really knew that's the kind of bird it was, if it wasn't real, you know, looking at the signs for the different birds and species and stuff, they would have just assumed it was something, you know, the minor bird or something like that. I invented a scientific name for it too. Playing with what we know, playing with the idea of whether we really ever know anything. I think on the flip side, I think being a performer, being someone who directs ensembles, it's really helped me to be a good historian in terms of thinking about how I tell a story, um, which is something that academics do just as much as artists do. And I think it's also made me a good teacher. I think of the people that I teach as multi-dimensional individuals with different facets and abilities, and I think it's helped me be a flexible and more inclusive and more open educator. Because directing an ensemble, working with all sorts of people, often people who don't have the same training I do, you know, really teaches you a lot about um, what works and what doesn't work in an environment where you have a shared goal, but are coming to it from very different places. It's not really that different from being in a classroom. You know, it's, uh, it's a really challenging way to exist, but one that I think has given me A view of the world and of myself that has brought a lot of abundance and knowledge to me. And I hope to the communities I'm part of.
1: So there's been more installations than traditional shows and lots of collaboration. Why the shift into that?
0: Because they allow for a kind of longer term immersion into the ideas that I'm interested in exploring. Um, I'm a a big believer in sort of re-experiencing things or experiencing things multiple times as a way of deepening one's understanding of um, whatever it is, um, whether it's like rereading a book or listening to a song again, watching a performance again, and installations really allow for that that kind of um, deeper understanding. So I've been really interested in opportunities to uh, create sound installations The last big one I did uh, was in collaboration with a New York City uh, artist named Nancy Davidson, put on at Krannert Art Museum at um, University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. This was an installation called Hive. And for this installation, Nancy created these kind of uh, inflated, gigantic sculptures. To accompany the sculptures, I created a sound installation that explored breathing and different sounds of breathing. And this was like a really <laughs> cool project because there were parts of it that were always the same, parts of the recorded uh, installation that were always the same, and then other parts of it that were always different, were never going to sound the same again. Some, uh, some element of it was always new um, to kind of explore the body, how it's always changing, um, and how the breath can be indicative of that kind of change.
1: Obviously, um, location and physical surroundings plays into that too. So, can you tell me a little bit about dawnbirds yeah. <laughs> at Garfield Conservatory, since that was in the early morning?
0: Yes. Despite having spent an incredible amount of time in my life in Chicago, I never really learned the lesson that doing things outdoors <laughs> is like not always a great idea. <laughs> um, so, but this is the thing that I love about site specific work because the challenge of that type of approach is, and in the excitement of that type of approach is in working with the parameters and the limitations. This performance was originally scheduled to occur the day before the fall equinox in celebration of the fall equinox at sunrise. (laughs) We ended up having to postpone it by a day to the actual day of the equinox because of rain (laughs) and thunderstorm. (laughs) The performance was an outdoor performance at sunrise, that was um, designed to lead the audience through the outdoor campus um, of the conservatory and to bring people from the labyrinth, bring everybody all the way to the lily pond that's in the back, which is very kind of important to the ensemble because the music that we're performing right now is very much focused on kind of ideas about nature and birds and flowers. And that lily pond in the back is just like so beautiful with the flowers and the big open space. That it's almost like a huge field that's that lies in front of it so you know at the very last minute we had to change a lot of things about the performance because of the weather we had to make sure that the cello and the violin didn't get wet that was really our main concern we ended up making a decision I think within 48 hours of the performance to go from a, an, a performance that involved electricity with like speakers and mics to doing it completely analog completely acoustic That presented its own challenges, like making sure we could be heard over the train. But it ended up being so beautiful because, you know, the rain did hold off at the moments we really crucially needed it to. And when it did rain, the experience of that was just like, I don't know how to describe it. It was just, everything was shimmering, (laughs) you know, um, we were wearing these gauzy white dresses and we were all soaked. Um, And it was just so visually rich and complex and fantastic and beautiful, that in the end well i do wish (laughs) it had been a little bit easier to pull off i'm so happy with how it turned out it was just so it was such a unique event that we could never reproduce
1: So I wanted to ask about Love and Radiation, mm-hmm. which was more of a Riot girl esque band earlier on in your music career. Mm-hmm. Of course, with another chirp favorite, Adele Nicholas, <laughs> yeah. who we all love so much. Yeah. Um, what brought you from that to a more ambient experimental art form?
0: Yeah, Adele, <laughs> I've known Adele since college. We've been really close since then. <laughs> My own background um, in, in sound is one... In which ambient music—that is the music. <laughs> so um, Carnatic music I would describe as ambient music. Um, you know, the, all the instruments that you see, like the veena, the struthi box, the you know, even the in, the way vocalists intone um, when they're singing, it falls under this you know broad category of ambient music. I think actually the shift from what Love and Radiation was doing to what I was doing as Lycanthia for my first album was actually a shift to something that was um, in a way more familiar and more natural to me, Um, both in terms of the sounds I was creating with a MIDI keyboard and synth patches, um, and also the way I was singing as well, um, which drew much more heavily on my training as a Carnatic vocalist than the singing I was doing in Love and Radiation or any other project before that. Um, So it was, in a way, it was a return to an earlier period in my life while simultaneously moving forward with that to create something new.
1: I want to hear a little bit about the shift to speaking on more personal subjects in your art. Will you tell me a little bit about the creation of Mali and the journey you took from your debut 2014 EP migration to that and how you're affecting that in your art now?
0: Molly is a sound installation I created in 2017 um, as a response to the death of my maternal grandmother. And I think the first work that I created that was about me (laughs) and (laughs) my grandmother passed away in 2017. I was very, very close to her and her death was just a shock to my practice. And um, one of the ways I processed her loss, both as a person from my life and from my family, but also her loss as a kind of embodiment of familial memory was to create the sound installation that featured um, recordings of conversations between her and me and my mom, um, and which was designed to look like a Hindu altar that you would find in like a middle-class Hindu family's home. That was a really kind of critical, I think, turning point in my art practice. That was my first uh, sound installation. It was the first time we began playing with the idea of knowledge as a subject. And the first time I really began to share my personal experiences through my art in a very explicit way Uh, and everything that's come since then has been in that same vein and has been shaped by uh, additions to my family um, in in the shape of my brother's two daughters who are now two and four so the sound installation at Lincoln Park Conservatory Half Light Chorus was dedicated to my eldest niece for her first birthday the album that I'm finishing now Some Viscera is dedicated to both of my nieces and also my grandmother and is has like a kind of uniting theme of the lullaby. Um, So all of the songs in it are lullabies, either for my grandma or my nieces, or the last song is a lullaby for myself. And this has been a really important, I think, way for me to understand my changing relationship with my family and also my cultural heritage over the course of my life. And all the tensions that come from being second generation um, Indian woman and growing up in a bicultural household I think help, has helped me kind of think on what kind of legacy I want to have. Um, I think that's so important. Something that meant a lot to me after my grandmother passed away was to find in her house letters that her mother had written to her and to my mom when my mom was pregnant with me and living in the United States. <laughs> um, and this idea of like being witness even before I was born is so powerful Like by the women in my family. Um, and I want to create something like that my nieces too and so I'm one day maybe <laughs> they'll be interested in you know my in my art practice and will discover themselves in it and see that they have had this place in the world for longer than they've realized and mean something to to it in the in a, in a way that they didn't know and that they're anchored to the world by the women in their family so in some ways I think you know that that's the direction my practice now seems to be going in um, I think moving a little bit away from my grandmother's death, and now more deeply into thinking about the lives of these these two girls and um, the role that I play in their lives and the role that they play in mine.
1: I'm Jessie D. I am with Trip Radio. Lakshmi, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. This has been an artist interview from Chirp Radio. You can find more interviews at chirpradio.org/podcasts.